episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of ChristianGospelChurch.org. Together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, today we have an episode that I'm going to call the squirrel episode, <laughs> and it's not the squirrel that everybody thinks. Squirrely. This is going <laughs> to be so much fun. We've <laughs> we gave a teaser last week, and we um you know we're getting into the mental health issues, which. We have mentioned to some extent throughout the course of this podcast, but I don't think anybody realizes just how big of a problem <laughs> that this was. Right, John. Um, this episode for me is a, is a very important episode for a number of reasons. And in one way, this, this episode is um, a grace that we can show to William Branham. I think it's one of the few graces we can show to him. Um, cause I, I think there is a reasonable case to be made that William Branham was experiencing, um, bouts of insanity that got worse with time as he got older. Yeah. William Branham was a man living under a lot of pressure. He was a man who was living a lie for sure. And you know, when you, when you live with a, a really big lie, like he was, it's bound to put a lot of mental pressure on you, right? I mean, so much so that, you know, his, his whole life story was largely a fable. We know many of his miracles were a farce, right? Never happened. And, you know, not saying that they're all a hoax, right? There, there were, I believe there were genuine miracles and healings that happened, right? But there's enough witnesses to let us know. There's also a whole bunch of them that were a hoax and a scam, too. Um, so William Branham was a man living a, a, a massive lie of his own creation, right? And, and to top all that off, there was the homosexual stuff that was happening certainly all around him, if not in his own life, just under the surface. You know, and I have to believe that that way that he lived is bound to put a lot of pers person under a mental strain. And there's pretty good evidence that William Branham was in a spiral of worsening mental illness, especially in the closing years of his life. I think we should preface this, Charles, this discussion with the fact that mental health is a real problem. Even in America, this is a real problem because I, I have family who have mental health issues and I've seen firsthand what happens whenever somebody goes through this. It is the most tragic thing that can happen in a family whenever somebody is suffering. And in America especially, the mental health system in America is so flawed and archaic, especially in this area. If somebody needs mental health assistance, it's like going back to the Stone Age, man. They, they just really don't understand it. But then take that a step further in the cult churches. If you have a mental health issue, you have a demon. And I, I remember I was personally, I was going through depression, severe depression. And I sat down with a minister locally and I was explaining to him that, you know, I'm, I'm really, really struggling. And at that time I kind of knew it was depression, but I didn't know you know, I'd, I'd not studied depression, so I didn't understand it fully. And my family just really didn't talk about it much. And I was telling him about it, and I think I've mentioned it on the show. He said, John, just be careful. Don't go and get the depression medication medications because there's a demon in those. I've seen time and time again somebody who takes the, <laughs> the medication for depression, and they leave the message, John. And, it's you know, it's very scary when you're in the cult. Oh my gosh, there's a demon and a little pill. <laughs> it's like, like the matrix. You've got the red pill and the blue pill, right? <clears throat> well, in the cult, mental health is taboo. You don't talk about it. My aunt um, has had mental health issues. Everybody in this area knows about it, but I've got other family members and friends that have had it. And if you're a family who is in the cult and you have a person that you can keep 
private. Don't let everybody else know. They're going to keep it a secret because everybody else is going to think they have a demon, which is so wrong. The family needs the help and support of everybody in their peer group. But the cult trains you to believe that mental health is a demon, not knowing that William Branham himself had severe mental health issues, levels beyond, you know, what I experienced. Right. You know, we, we had um, the same thing where I come from, John. You know, people were were actively discouraged and condemned uh, for this sort of thing. I'll tell you just one little story maybe before we start talking about William Branham. There was a woman in our church um, who, uh, you know, was roughly my age. Um, they, she had some children and a husband and her husband died unexpectedly of a heart attack at a fairly young age. And she was left a widow with two children. She went to the doctor, took her children to the doctor. And, um, I believe two of them were taking antidepressants, uh, as they were dealing with grief over the loss of their father. Um, <laughs> the preacher found out about it. One service, he comes off the platform and he confronts her right in front of the whole church, knowing that she's been taking this medication. And I know this is what he's doing because he came told me before he did it what he was going to do, right? Like it's, I, I literally know it was happening because they tell me before they did it. So he comes off the platform and he rebukes her in front of the entire church for being, for having grief, basically tells, you know, and he says to her, this woman whose children, thought husband has just died, is now a widow with children, says, it's time for you to get over it. <laughs> and, and condemn all the medication and stuff. I mean, stuff like that happens in the message, John. I mean, and it is absolutely outrageous, outrageous yeah. stuff. I personally know ministers who are on medication for depression and other things who are actually telling their congregants not to get on the medication. It just, it angers me because again, I, I know people who have been through this experience and when you have family who are suffering, it's no different than any other medical issue. It, it's like diabetes. Would you tell a diabetic? No, don't take the insulin because if you take that insulin, there's a demon in that insulin. Yeah, it, it's something else. And like what I described, like things like that are on tape. Like there's the video recordings of it happening, right? I mean, it's the proof is just overwhelming on this stuff. It, it's crazy what goes on in the message. And yeah, so William Branham was a man who himself suffered from some serious mental issues in his life. And if you go through the things he said on tape and through the eyewitnesses that William Branham that knew William Branham, right? He was very clearly dealing with these all through his life. And and back in those days, they used different terminology than we do today. Uh, people with, with mental illness were called neurotics. Uh, they tended to call mental illness a nervous condition, right? So they used different language than we do today. And William Branham was believed by the people around him and even admitted himself that he was a nervous and neurotic person with a mental condition going all the way back to his childhood. Um, one example is if you recall, I think uh, the episode where we talked about where he had the vision of the 16 men falling off the Clark Memorial Bridge. Um, I think that was episode four. Well, anyway, right after he had that vision, he tells that his mother called the doctor. right? And according to his own story, when the doctor came and looked at him after that, the doctor said he had a nervous condition, right? Um, and looking back, realizing that that vision was never fulfilled, I have to conclude his mother and doctor were probably right. You know, if William Branham did have a vision of the people falling off the bridge, then it must have been some sort of a mental delusion, right? Because 16 people never fell, fell off that bridge. Yeah. <clears throat> there are so many cases, you know, I, I kind of went back and forth during my research. Was was the result of all of this a mental illness problem, or was it a scheme? Was he a con man who was truly a con man? And I've come to the conclusion over time that it's a good mixture of both of them. There, there are clearly instances where William Branham is knowingly, purposefully, strategically lying. There are other instances where this man is just crazy. <laughs> it's got both of them in it. <clears throat> but if you were to entertain the idea that all of this was a result of the mental illness, it actually explains a large 
portion of the message. I mean, there, <laughs> I was talking to a friend. There, there are two good ways to explain the message. One of them is if, you know, if William Branham was together with a group of men and they started all of the sentences that ended into the supernatural things, me and the boys were drinking one day and X, <laughs> we saw seven angels descend from a cloud. You can also do the same thing with mental illness. I had mental illness and I saw X. And there is clearly cases that you could say that if you study mental, mental illness, you're going to find that there are people who have mental illness and they do see visions. They do see, you know, they have these predictions and like William Branham's predictions, they're not very accurate because <laughs> this is a, this is a, you know, a result of the mental illness. So I can go both ways, but I have found that it is a clear mixture because strategically there are things that if you line up the sermons chronologically, you can see that he is strategically lying in some cases, but he's doing it with the background of mental illness. Right. I mean, mentally ill people, depending on the mental illness, can believe that they saw things. They can remember things that never actually happened, right? Um, there's a, there is a, a tenuous connection to reality. Um, you know, with some forms of mental illness. And so that, the story around the bridge, um, that is the oldest story in his life where he explains that the people around him believed he was suffering with some form of a mental illness, right? And he again says he was even checked out by a doctor, um, with those, with, with the, when that happened. And the doctor said that. I think the, the next example of that to point out, just to show that this is, kind of a lifelong thing is the 1933 baptismal story which you know we covered in a prior episode too if you want all the details on that but that's where William Branham said the light came down from heaven and a voice spoke you know from heaven uh, but he also said when he told that story that he was confronted by other people who were there at the baptism who told him he was suffering a mental delusion okay and let me read a quote from that about the 1933 baptism from the sermon called a trial William Branham said, I went down to baptize a bunch of people on the river. When I was baptizing there, where about 5,000 people were standing on the bank right in the middle of the day, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, they hadn't had rain for a week or two, and standing on the bank, here come the pillar of fire whirling out of the air, coming down there while I was standing, and the voice sang as John the Baptist was sent to forerun the second coming of Christ, your message will forerun the second coming of Christ. The second, yeah. The local newspapers packed it. It swept into Canada on the Associated Press around the world. A local minister, Baptist minister, baptizing and said a mystic light appeared over him. The very one that they caught the picture here and done it in Germany and everywhere. And it's done. Okay, so I'll just point out there, there's not a fact there that William Branham said is right. right? This is all, none of that happened. Okay, there's proof that you can go back to the prior episodes where we covered that. But then he says, my pastor said to me, Billy, what kind of dream did you have? You know you didn't see. I said, there's hundreds of people standing there witnessed it. And they've come down. They said, oh, that's just a mental delusion. So William Branham, I mean, to me, very clearly in this quote is saying that the people who were at the baptism with him told him he was dreaming, or told him he was having a mental delusion at that time. So, I think that's just an unmistakable thing, that he was being accused of this from the early days, in one sense. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> ministers in the cult of personality, they're all aware that William Branham had mental health, severe mental health issues. They're all aware of it. <clears throat> I mean, William Branham says it himself on recording. What's interesting is that these same ministers, they covered up. They do not want their congregation to know that that man that we follow was crazy. <laughs> but William Branham himself, like you said, he mentions having it at a very early age. And you'll find throughout the sermons when William Branham is struggling, you'll find him mentioned seven years. Apparently for him, there was this seven-year cycle. And I'm no mental health expert, but you who are, you understand that some of the mental health um, 
issues have a cycle. Um, bipolar instance has a cycle. There's, there's different, there's different mental health illnesses that have a cycular effect. And William Branham says every seven years, this quote from 1965, right before his, right near the point of his death. And interestingly, at this, <laughs> almost the same exact time that he says that the Elijah of this day is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I've been a neurotic all my life. In other words, I've, I've, I've had this mental health issue as a little boy. There was something that struck me and it scared me about every seven years. It would happen to me. What he's referring here to is something very significant because if you get scared, it's not going to really stick with you. But if you get scared and you either get institutionalized or you have to go see a professional for it, which he admits that he did, that's significant. And he's saying that every seven years this is happening. So if you take William Branham's lifespan and you divide it by seven years, which it's probably an approximation, but it's about eight times. So eight times during his life. He was either institutionalized or he had to go seek professional medical help for his mental health illness. Yeah, and he, he even says on tape, I believe in that same sermon, that he was currently in the eighth bout of yeah. this, right? So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. about eight times. So, William Branham, yeah, he, he was very unmistakable, in, I think, in what he said about this, and I think kind of chronologically the next mental health breakdown to mention is the one that William Branham talks about suffering when his first wife died. Um, and, you know, we explored that episode of Where My Sorrow Started. That's a good one if you want to check out all the details there. But when William Branham's wife and daughter died, um, a true analysis of it would seem to indicate that William Branham actually played a role in contributing to their death, actually. Um, that that appears to be the true story. Um, if you if you actually look through the facts, you look yeah. at the actual government records and obituaries and so forth. Um, it don't match the stories that William Branham told us, and and he played a, at least a minor contributing role in what happened to their death. And so William Branham um, says on tape that he made multiple suicide attempts after uh, his wife and daughter died. And I know from eyewitnesses that William Branham was definitely having some serious mental issues when that happened. Um, let me read you one of uh, William Branham's accounts of the m multiple suicide attempts he, he made. He said, I said, oh God, why did you take that precious little thing from me? Here I am left alone in this world, me and the boy to wander around. I said, why did you take her, Lord? I got so worked up till I said, Sherry, honey. Daddy's coming to see you this morning. And I pulled off my rubber glove. So he's working on the power lines as a power line worker. I pulled off my rubber glove there, laid 2,300 currents running right by me. Break every bone in your body. I said, gone crazy. Pulled off my glove and I said, Sherry, Daddy's coming to see you. I can't stay away from you any longer. I said, God, I hate to be a coward, but I can't stand it. My heart's a breaking. I can't stand it. And then the next thing I knew, I was sitting on the ground. How I ever got down there, God only knows. And I believe it's a gift that had been foreordained. So basically, he goes on here to say, I made up my mind that I was going to take my life as a suicide case. I lost my mind. I'd gone crazy. And so in that, I think that's probably his most famous suicide attempt story, John. <laughs> he told quite a few where he grabbed a hold of the power line, supposedly, and then he wakes up sometime later laying on the ground. Um, but yeah, William Branham admitted to many multiples of suicide attempts in his life. Yeah. And people we've interviewed that we almost had on the show mentioned William Branham was institutionalized for mental health breakdowns in, I believe it was Mexico. Take that aside, you know, we'll, play that whenever we can. But for right now, um, whenever you think about mental health issues and anybody who has family who's involved with mental health issues, they're aware of this. There are levels of mental health crises. And the one in which you are institutionalized is whenever you become suicidal. They will keep you for your own safety and for the safety of those around you. 
So when William Branham is talking about every seven years, there is a significant mental health crisis in my life, some of which I have to be institutionalized. They will keep you there if you're suicidal until they're confident that you are no longer suicidal. Yeah, that that is honestly about the only way that you can be forcibly institutionalized here in the United States yeah. is if your mental illness has reached the point where you are a danger to yourself or others, right? Like anything short of that, they, they really can't forcibly institutionalize you, right? So the fact that he was institutionalized like this, I, I think it, it, it could certainly lend itself to the thought that that's what was happening. And so I think the next well-documented mental breakdown, so after, after the suicide attempts with his wife's death in the mid-1930s, um, would be what happened in 1948. And uh, we, we talked about those, the details around what happened in 1948 also in detail. I think it was the Voice of Healing episode we did. And that was the very early days of the Healing Revival, 1948. And his mental breakdown in 1948 coincided with the story of Alfred Pohl and W.J. Taylor. At that time, there were reports surfacing about people dying who William Branham had pronounced healed. Okay, The Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada and a large apostolic church in Winnipeg had launched investigations into the whole thing. And based on their preserved testimonies, um, it's pretty clear that those investigations concluded the allegations were true and that a bunch of people really did die instead of getting their healing after William Brown pronounced him healed, right? Yeah. So that's that's what's happening in the background that time in 1948. And as that happened, William Branham had another serious mental health crisis. Um, in the summer of 1948, he had to quit touring, and he claimed to go to the Mayo Clinic for treatment at that time. And William Branham shared on tape many, many times that uh, the story about going to the, the Mayo Clinic. And I think, John, that just about every single time he told that story, um, he told his audiences that the Mayo Clinic um, diagnosed him with an incurable mental illness, right? Let me read just one of the times that he mentioned this on tape. Um, William Branham says here, the Mayo brothers, the next day examined me, said, Your father was an Irishman, he drank. Your mother being a half-Indian, that makes you almost a half-breed. So you're just a nervous wreck, and you'll never be out of it. Said, otherwise you're healthy. But that's something in the soul of man that cannot be controlled, right? So, there again, by, by William Branham's own confession, he was really diagnosed with an incurable mental illness by the Mayo Clinic. You can find him tell that story many times. And so that happened in 1948. And so just just think about that, okay? The leader of the healing revivals, the leader of the second wave of Pentecostalism, the godfather of the latter rain movement, was a man who had been diagnosed as incurably mentally ill, who had already made multiple suicide attempts before all of that happened. My goodness. Let me read one more quote here where William Branham talks about this. This is from the 1953 sermon, Taking God at His Word. William Branham said, Some time ago, a few years ago, when the Mayo Brothers, one of the best clinics in the nation, been interviewed there twice, been interviewed there twice since then. So he's now he's saying he's been there three times. Said to me, It's impossible, Reverend, Reverend Branham, for you to ever get well. So again, let me read that again. William Branham says he was told, It's impossible, Reverend Branham, for you to ever get well. This is the medical diagnosis, okay? And John, I, I think just from those quotes, um, I, you know, I don't know what else to say, but I mean, it's pretty obvious William Branham was diagnosed with an incurable mental illness. Yeah, and we're talking during the birth of Latter Rain. We're talking during the epicenter of everything that we talk about in this podcast, Charles. William Branham has such a significant mental health issue that <clears throat> he's on this very, very rigid revival tour, and he's he's a hot commodity during this time. It overstresses him, and he's take he basically has to go off the field. It it does appear, and we have some confirmation that he was institutionalized, 
and then suddenly he disappeared during the time in which the Associated Press and all of the churches, everybody is following the trail of this guy. Suddenly he's off the field. Where did he go? And it was such a significant problem that the Associated Press couldn't find him. And they were trying to find, where is William Branham? We wanted to cover the revival tour. Where did he go? And they they wrote back home to Jeffersonville. And I've got a newspaper article that I'll put up on the screen. But the uh, article did confirm with the family, Reverend William Branham is very much alive. And um, they were checking. A, a, the rumor spread that he had died because he just suddenly disappeared. Where did he go? And the rumor spread that he died, and the Jeffersonville newspapers spoke with the family, and no, he's very much alive, and he's going to go to Joseph Matson Bose's church in Chicago, I think it was. So this was such a significant problem that even the Associated Press realized that there's something really weird going on with William Branham. Right. And of course, there are eyewitnesses to all of this, right? I mean, William Branham is a very public figure, right? At this, as you come into the 1940s. Um, and Gordon Lindsay, for example, writes his eyewitness of this episode in his biography, 20th Century Barnabas. Okay. This came out, uh, I want to say about 1980, 1982, I think is when this book was wrote. So, um, he wrote in there, and let me just read you an excerpt out of this book. He says, from June 1948 until the following year, Brother Branham went through a Gethsemane that few ministers have experienced. The evangelist had reached out into spiritual realms that have profoundly disturbed the kingdom of hell. His battle with the enemy, together with his great exertions, went beyond his physical strength, caused him to have a nervous breakdown. Physicians advised him that he would have to leave the field in Definitely. Okay, so that's what, that's Gordon Lindsay's account of the 1948 uh, mental health crisis. And so William Branham's doctors told him he had to stop preaching indefinitely, right? Um, coincides with William Branham saying the doctors told him he, it was impossible for him to ever be cured. So mental illness is something that we, you know, we can have sympathy for, right, John? I mean, it's something where yeah. people need support, they need care, right? Um and I don't want to downplay that, but someone who is suffering a mental illness is not someone you want to trust as the voice of God. It's not someone you want to put in a position of unchecked authority and power, but that is exactly what happened. This message cult was built around the personality of a man who was profoundly and diagnosed mentally ill. It's one of the remaining problems that I have with Gordon Lindsay, because as we've examined during the course of the podcast, Gordon Lindsay was aware that this man was lying. He he knew that, you know, King George was not healed by William Branham. These things that he's publishing, he knows he is publishing fiction. And yet he says this, <laughs> this thing in reverence of William Branham. And he's also aware of this mental health problem. So here's Gordon Lindsay, who's publishing the fiction from this man who has delusions of grandeur and he's saying that this was of God and in my opinion <laughs> this was not God this was the opposite of God but I like you I have sympathy for William Branham's mental health this man was struggling his wife and his daughter I mean think of this if he had mental health issues from an early age which he said he did and I believe then Whenever his wife and daughter were taken, whenever they died, this would have had a severe impact on his mental health and accelerated the mental health struggles that he already had to even you know higher levels of mental health issues. And then from there, he built this very, very taxing ministry, which everybody's looking to him as the spiritual authority. And whenever somebody has that much pressure and they have mental health issues, it is a combination for disaster. Right. And so, as you mentioned, William Branham famously claimed to have that seven-year cycle with his mental health, where every seven, seven years, you know, the thing came back on him. And I think most people in the message are familiar with that story. I think that's pretty baked into most. I know, I think it was well-known in my sect anyway, at least. <laughs> I knew about it. Um, 
1948 counts seven years ahead. That takes you to 1955, right? Right to the peak of the healing revival. And that is the year that Jim William Branham met Jim Jones and started working with him and Paul Schaefer and working with him. And the wheels started to come off the healing revivals right in that period leading up to the massive split in 1957. And John, you and I have both interviewed people who shared with us that William Branham did have another mental health breakdown in those years. Um, you mentioned yeah. one that we've interviewed. We got those testimonies on recording, and they're not published in part because we're protecting the identity of the people involved because they were very close to the Branham family, and a lot of their family can still be in the cult, you know, and, and impacted by it. So, But according to their testimonies, William Branham had another mental health collapse in those years, and he was taken to a sanatorium in Mexico for treatment. And the people in the inner circle uh, received phone calls from Billy Paul when all that happened, explaining the situation and asking them to pray for William Branham. And that's how this leaked out um, to people. It was it was after Billy Paul had called people for prayer requests. Um, you know, the story leaked out a bit. And so from there, when he came back, when William Branham came back from that sanatorium in Mexico, the same people said that something permanently changed in his mental condition at that point. Um, and... Again, we weren't there, obviously, we don't know, but according to the, you know, the testimony of people we've talked to, after he came back from that mental health treatment, you know, in the mid-1950s, William Branham was never mentally the same again. He was a, he was a somewhat different person. And I think that also bears out with what we see in the change in his ministry, because those were the years that he started, began to really heavily lean in that he was Elijah. Right. And and knowing all this, it just leaves you wondering how much of this could be related to mental delusion. Right. Could could that be why he was saying he was having these angelic visitations and visions? I mean, could it have just been mental delusion? When you consider the changes in the stage persona, we've discussed it many times, but there are different varying and conflicting versions of the stage persona. Those strongly coincide with this seven-year cycle. Each time, you know, it changes in some cases slightly, but some things are significant changes. And each one can be attributed to a, you know, a delusion of grandeur. So it's very easy to say that as the stage persona persona morphed and changed over time, it was related to one of these mental health crises in his life. But again, it's so far more complicated because also while the stage persona is changing and morphing, you also have things that <clears throat> he is strategically doing as the change happens. So I know there are also personality disorders that sometimes go with the mental health issues. It could be that he suffered from some of the personality disorders, and that's why he had this deceptive strategy that he makes with it. But it's this very complicated combination of things that resulted in his cult of personality progressing to the level of destruction that it did. So you've got the fairly well-documented mental breakdown that happened in the late 40s. Then you've got the um, the one that's fuzzier, that that's, seems pretty well covered up, that happened in the mid-1950s. Um, and then that brings you up to the next one, you know, roughly around 1961, when William Branham um, preached the Bruce Serpent, when the, when the Deity cult got exposed, when the homosexual allegations against William Branham became public. Um, when William Branham preached that sermon on the Bruce Serpent, he made several comments in that sermon that indicated that he was going crazy at that moment. And let me let me read a couple of them. In one spot, he said, My place is up for sale. I just can't stand it. If I stay around, I'll go completely stark mad. And so I ask you to pray for me. And so again, that's pretty clear that he's telling his audiences that he's on the verge of going stark mad. And with the exposure of the deity cult and the homosexual rumors all hitting him hard at the same time, again, you can just imagine what this what this did to his mind, right? To, and to William Branham, he became suicidal again. So William Branham became suicidal again in 1961. Let me read you again about that. 
when this is for, again from the sermon on the bruce serpent he said i thought i'd rather die here in the woods like i fell on my gun or something and i seen i was then i thought about my little joseph and so forth and had to be raised and i was in no condition to hunt so i just left the woods and come home and i've been tore up about eight or ten days in such a fix that i thought i was losing my mind and I just ask everyone to stay away from me and leave me alone because I'm such a fix and a nervous wreck and upset and all tore to pieces. So again, there's William Branham in 1961 talking about suicide ideation in his sermons yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, reflecting on his mental condition. In 1961, think of the timeline of the people who were most impactful in the cult spreading after his death. You've got Perry Green, you've got my grandfather. Everyone who is in William Branham's inner circle, they may not be aware of the extent of the mental health issues, but they are aware that there is something going on. They have to be. If you've ever been around somebody who is dealing with mental health issues, you know that they're going through something. And in many case, in most cases, it's very obvious that it is a mental health problem that they're dealing with. So the men in William Branham's inner circle, they either knew that he was outright suffering from some mental health disorder, or they knew something was significantly wrong. But everyone who became a pillar, what they call them in the message, these pillars of the message, these men were aware something happened. And yet they proclaim it as though this was divinely inspired by God, and they they suppress the knowledge about these mental health crises because they don't want you to know that this is potentially a delusion of grandeur. Right, and, and Raymond Jackson, the same thing. I could get you a, a tape of him saying this on video. He said he went over to William Branham's house, and William Branham was having basically a mental breakdown right there in his house and that um, he just wanted to end it all and he was confessing that his gifts didn't really work and right like he's yeah. he's clearly <laughs> dealing with some serious guilt and and then Raymond Jackson says to us and that's none of our business we shouldn't ask anything about that I'm like you gotta be I look back now like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> you 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 had him confess to you that his gifts didn't work and that he was something I mean come on but here's the thing is is they they a lot of them believed that this was a product of the Holy Spirit working in his life or something. Like this yeah. was just the burdens of, of carrying this huge gift and every uh but I mean I don't I don't think God quite works that way, John. I mean you bad things like that don't come from God. I mean, God don't I mean, the devil can do bad things to people, but God don't the Holy Spirit does not give you mental delusions and make you break down and stuff so it's it's something else and you know i i think william branham was very clearly in a bad mental state in 1961 and he announced to his entire following think about this in 1961 he announced to his entire following that he was contemplating suicide and i just wonder you know how the old timers rationalized it but i i think it's what i said you know they're Oh, this is the pressures of the Holy Spirit on him or something. But but if you think about it, if a preacher gets in the platform and he tells his church that he wants to go out hunting and give himself a hunting accident so he can die in the woods, uh, I mean, very clearly you're listening to someone who is unstable, right? And let me read another paragraph here I got. This is from a mental health resource. I think this is really good. Just let me read this. It says, following a leader who is mentally ill, can pose significant dangers and risks, both for the leader's followers and society at large. Mental illness can impair judgment, distort perceptions, and lead to erratic or irrational behavior. Such leaders may be prone to making impulsive and unpredictable decisions, potentially causing harm to themselves, their followers, and even innocent individuals. Their distorted thinking patterns and emotional instability can fuel divisive ideologies, leading to the promotion of harmful or discriminatory policies. Additionally, 
a mentally ill leader may struggle to effectively communicate or empathize with their constituents, hindering their ability to understand and address the complex needs and concerns of the people they are meant to serve. Overall, the dangers of following a mentally ill leader lie in the potential for instability, irrationality, and the perpetuation of harmful ideologies that can undermine the well-being and progress of a society. And so, I don't think I could say it any better than that. I'm fascinated with history, and especially ancient history. The Oracle of Delphi was known as throughout the world as the greatest prophetess of the ancient world. If you went to the Oracle of Delphi to find out all about the future, and it, it, was, it was the significant thing, well, they have found that the priestess or the Pythia of the Oracle of Delphi during her mantic sessions was actually inhaling this ethylene gas or is either a mixture of ethylene and ethane from a naturally occurring vent in you know underneath the temple and so it was putting her into this altered mental state where <laughs> she it wasn't a vision of a delusion of grandeur but it was just craziness right and people were taking the vague craziness and they're saying this must be of god because this is insane no no normal person would say these things and when you compare that to william branham who's got these mental health issues and he himself is mentioning he is crazy or he's insane and then you've got all of these men who are saying this crazy must be of god because normal people don't say these things it's so ironic that the two and and both clearly are not of god the these things are are very explainable when you take the the mental health state or the altered mental state and it's something that you can go back as far back through time as you want to go crazy people have a strong influence on people who think it's not craziness but it is spiritually divine i think it is entirely possible and likely that's what's happening here with william branham people are mistaking episodic insanity with manifestations of the holy spirit you know these yeah i mean he's out in the wilderness and a sword appears in his hand a did, magic did that, sword <laughs> okay um he's out he's he's in texas but his mind tells him he was in arizona under a cloud meeting jesus right yeah so i mean is it possible that he's just mentally deranged uh you know in some of this stuff so i mean you just cannot you can't completely rule it out a strong argument could be made that the people who believed in the magic sword were also crazy so charles i, I hate to admit it i must have been crazy <laughs> <laughs> i know there, there is sadly a high rate of mental illness among the message believers i i just hate to say it but it is it's true, and and I don't say that in a condemning way. I I mean I love the people in the message, and so I mean if you all listen to this, I I mean I love those people. I mean that's the whole reason I'm doing this, honestly, is because I care yeah. for them people enough to tell them the truth, you know. But you feel bad for them. You you really feel bad for them. So I I think John, this does bring us up to 1965, and I I think there's a case to be made that. Um, to quote William Branham, he was stark mad by the time you come to 1965. <laughs> Absolutely. It is it's entirely possible that he was deeply off his rocker and his followers were confusing his mental illness with supernatural visions. Okay, And yeah. I think the sermon on the, on the wings of a snow white dove is probably the best example of that. And that was the last big sermon he preached just before he died, actually. And yeah. he told what is perhaps the most bizarre story of his entire sermon, uh, entire ministry in that sermon. Um, he described in that sermon his mental illness as an evil spirit that looked like a squirrel that jumped down his throat and sort of possessed him. And it's so ironic, John, that he... You know, he claimed to speak squirrels into existence, right? So it's really weird that the demon which he thought possessed him was also a squirrel. So let me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let me uh, just, let me just read, read this. He says, any of you squirrel hunters know you can rub a stick up and down on a tree like that and it'll scare a squirrel and run him out. 
if he's in the hollow. And I was seeing where that squirrel had been, and I thought, what kind of squirrel is that? And I rubbed it, and when I did, I looked over, and it was me then, about 38 years old. The little boy was gone. So I rubbed that limb, and out of that hollow log pole come a little squirrel that looked about that long, dark, almost black, and looked like little currents was flying from him. Little bitty beady eyes, the wickedest looking thing I have ever seen, looked more like a weasel than a squirrel. And he looked right at me, and I opened my mouth to say, well, and when I did, before you could have batted your eye, he flew right into my mouth, went down into my stomach, and just started tearing me to pieces. Okay? So, so that's the story um, that William Branham told about the demon squirrel moving into his stomach. Okay? And I'm, I'm not really sure. Just there could be different ways to characterize the story. Um, I think, you know, people could have different opinions on this, but... I understand William Branham here to be saying he became possessed by this demon squirrel. Okay, I, that's the way I understand what he's saying here. Okay, other people might have a different interpretation, but this is my my understanding is he's saying he became possessed by this demon squirrel at this point. Okay, and that it and that this demon squirrel continued to possess him until 1965 when when he killed the demon squirrel. Okay, but anyway, and as you read the full context of what he's saying here, it appears. That that is actually the story. The story of the demon squirrel is what he told the Mayo Clinic in 1948 that got him diagnosed as being incurably mentally ill. <laughs> you know, everybody enjoys a good squirrel story, Charles, but <laughs> this is not the kind that everybody enjoys. <clears throat> it is one of the clearest examples of William Branham on recording having the mental issues surface and come to the surface and people who are sitting there in the audience are seeing and witnessing the mental health issues. This is a mental health problem that he's having right here on the platform. And remember, this is something that he himself admits every seven years, he's having a severe mental health crisis, many of which caused him to be hospitalized. This is one of them wherein he is becoming hospitalized. They tell him it's incurable and he continues preaching, leading, teaching, <laughs> introducing new doctrine. <clears throat> I'm laughing only at the irony of it. It's, it's actually really sad. It's not funny. But he is before an audience telling them what is very real to him at this point. In my studies of this very complicated mess, this is entering the time in which everything that happens can be attributed to the mental health issues. Str strategy's completely gone. He's he's so far lost his mind by this point that he's openly talking about demon squirrels in his body, right? <clears throat> so this is a very significant mental health crisis that he's having on the platform. And remember, with each mental health issue, he talks about becoming suicidal. And like you said, the people in his inner circle were aware that he was very suicidal. This is right before he died. And it raised this one alone raised huge questions for me because he's suicidal. He's clearly lost his mind. He's about to die. And before his car wreck, wherein he dies, he tells the people he, he tells, you know, Billy Paul to, you know, ride in a different car, um, tells Joseph to ride with Billy Paul and whatnot. They, this is all covered in Sarah Branham's letter. There's this huge question for me, was the car accident the result of a suicide? The cult has said that it was the result of alcohol, but there is not a single evidence anywhere that there was alcohol involved in the car wreck. None. You can go look it up yourself, read all the newspapers, but they don't know what happened. There's, you know, this was such a horrific accident. They don't know who is at fault. And the question that raised for me was, did William Branham try to commit suicide here? You know, John, when we do the episode on his death, we, we definitely need to examine those things closely because you're, you're very right. The story that we are told in the message about the death of William Branham um, 
it, it seems certainly has some very inaccurate elements to it compared to the police records and the newspaper reports about what happened. So I, I look forward to to investigating that. But yeah, William Branham was not in a good mental health state. So, I mean, that happened one roughly roughly a month after he talks about this demon squirrel tearing up his stomach, right? That he that the car accident happens. So it's something else. And, and, and you, you, you can even read, um, Sarah, who was sitting in the back seat's account of what happened in the car right before the accident. And it, it leaves you with some, some curious questions along that way. Yeah. So it's something else. The, so the story here that William Branham told in, in, in Wings of a Snow White Dove, it, it actually got even more bizarre as it went. And, Basically, he told his audience that his seven-year cycle of mental illness had been caused by this demon squirrel that had possessed him beginning in 1948. I mean, is, is this is how I understand what he's saying. And let me read a few more quotes from that sermon. He said at one point, he says, I have been a neurotic all my life. You read this earlier. As a little boy, there was something struck me that scared me, and about every year or seven years it would happen to me. I'll read a, another quote here. He says, And you just don't know what I've suffered. Just mental oppression. Every seven years it's come. All my life. That's where I'm at now. Seven eighths. He's 56 years old. This is the eighth time. So I was distressed. I cried. I begged. I pleaded. And so as William Branham reaches the end of that sermon, he told everyone that the demon squirrel had died. And because the demon squirrel was dead, he was healed now. Let me read that to you. He says, Why me? Why me? Why me? An old man suffering all my life. Why did he heal me now? I believe I'll ride this trail again. I've got to bring a message. And I say to my father tonight, as Junior Jackson, that'd be the pastor of my church, said, seen in a dream the other night on wings of a snow white dove, moving in these windows here, Lord, your servants reporting for service. Amen. I'm ready. So there he is claiming at the end of that sermon that he's healed of his mental illness in, in November 1965, about one month before he died. And if you're wondering if people who were involved with the overall Latterine post-World War II healing revival were aware of this, not just, you know, Brother Jackson, uh, Raymond Jackson, who was the leader of the sect that Charles came from, in that same sermon, On the Wings of a Snow White Dove, William Branham says, And Brother Jack has helped me around the house. I walk around the house and just get a hot, greasy water-like flying out of my mouth, and then walk to the pulpit and pray for people that was twice that bad to be healed. He, you know, in the same sermon where he's talking about <laughs> the, the demon squirrel that has invested his body and run laps around his stomach, I think he said, He's mentioning that Brother Jack is aware that this is going on, and as you pointed out, this isn't the first time that Brother Jack, who is Jack Moore, was aware that William Branham is suffering severely from mental health issues. It is something else, John. You know, as I reflect back on all of this now, um, you know, I, I have to wonder, you know, if... if, if if I was on the outside looking in back then, I mean, you know, I think as a reasonable person, I would have had to conclude that William Branham was mentally ill. And I, I think that's what a lot of people did back then, John. And it, it just leaves me wondering, you know, what it, what was it that, that prevented our forefathers from waking up? You know, some of our forefathers, John, were absolutely part of whatever crazy conspiracy stuff was going on, you know. But others of them were, were totally bought into this. Like they, they, they believed it. They were true believers. I really believe that quite a number of them were true believers. And what allowed them to, 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 I mean, if, 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 if I was sitting in a church and the preacher tells me he's possessed by a demon squirrel, well, no, thank you. I'll go find me a preacher to listen to that's not possessed <laughs> by a demon. Thank you. You know, like what in the world? What in the world? It, yeah. It, and, and of course, you know, they never focus much attention on any of this stuff when you're in the message. But Raymond Jackson was sitting there when he preached that. I know he was. He went to those meetings to be there at him. How do you, how do you make sense of this stuff? My family was, was in this stuff. You know, my family sat there and listened to him say some of this crazy stuff. How, 
it, it's very hard to wrap my mind around how they did not recognize there was something seriously wrong, but yet somehow they thought all of this obviously lunacy was somehow supernatural something or another, right? It just goes to show how easily people can be fooled and tricked, you know, when they're, when they're in this sort of an only believism kind of religion, right? Where nothing really has to be based on reality. It all is, it's all only believe, only believe, only believe. He's not crazy, only believe, right? But when you're in only believism, I mean, a crazy man can make you believe anything, and that's what happened here. Yeah. And, you know, to people who have a family member who struggles with mental health, I can't say it enough. It is a terrible thing. It is is very, very difficult for the family. My grandfather dealt with this all of his latter years. One of my family members did have severe mental health issues, and— you know, it's it's such a problem because if it were diabetes, you realize that, you know, don't eat the sugar, take the insulin. You realize that it's a condition that the person who has it is aware that they have. But with mental health, the brain isn't working properly. The brain is the organ that's affected. The person who's suffering with it does not realize that they're you know, out there. They don't realize that they've lost their mind. And so you can have a normal conversation thinking that it's a rational conversation and it's very irrational. And the per- the people who are around it trying to help the people who are suffering, the, the level of crazy kind of transfers to them a little bit. It's not that they have mental health issues, but the situation is just so crazy that the craziness begins to spread. And I have seen this firsthand multiple times that this is what happens. But picture this in a religious context. You've got a man who has clearly lost his mind. He's off of his rockers. And all of his inner circle are trying to keep him up on this pedestal and so the level of crazy that the man that they're holding up has begins to transfer to the people in his inner circle and that begins to spread and Charles you you and I have examined some of it there's some pretty weird things that came out of the people who were in the inner circle who dealt with the crazy right you know in a in any cult um that has a strong central figure, the direction of the cult is to emulate the behavior of the central figure, right? So that's that's what happens in, 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 in any sort of cult, right? Everyone gradually becomes, tried to become mirror images of the leader. And it, that is so problematic when you have a, a leader who is mentally ill, who is suicidal, who, you know... You just think of how William Branham talked about committing suicide surprisingly a lot on tape, John. Um, now, I I have read the New Testament. I mean, I never read the Apostle Paul thinking about committing suicide. You know, I never read Peter thinking about suicide. I never read Jesus thinking about... Like, you never... Those are not healthy things. Those are not healthy models of behavior, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, the only real biblical model that you can even use in this case is Judas, who did commit suicide. But Charles, is that who you want to model your church after? When you make someone like that your role model, and you're trying to model behavior after a man who is openly suicidal, who is almost certain, I mean, you can't be suicidal and not have mental illness, right? So it's so problematic because people they they do pattern themselves after the life of William Branham and and if his if his lifestyle is so great if his teachings and philosophy is so great why did it result in a, in him being so suicidal right like obviously this did not have some wonderful effect in his life where he was bounding and wonderful all the time this made him suicidal his life made him suicidal that is not a good um that is not a a good witness <laughs> of the performance and quality and outcome and product of his ministry, right? If it produces suicidal thoughts. There's one thing that you just said that I want to make sure that people hear because 
it, it's probably the most powerful thing that you have said on this entire show, Charles. You cannot be suicidal without having a mental health issue. You cannot. If you are suicidal, you are suicidal because of mental health. People in the message cult and various splinter groups, they try to separate this. They try to say, because many of these fundamentalist Christian religions believe that if you commit suicide, you're going straight to hell. That's what they teach. And that's it's so wrong because this is a... This is a mental health issue, and they try to make suicide not a mental health issue. But if you are suicidal, you have a mental health issue. And William Branham, like you said, frequently mentioned that he was suicidal. So, John, as we bring this episode to a close, I I think there is a strong case to be made that some of William Branham's behavior can be attributed to mental illness, especially in the later years of his life. And Like I said at the start of this episode, um, this is one possible grace I do think we can offer William Branham for some of his behavior, right? I mean, if someone is not mentally stable, there is, you know, insanity is a defense, right? (laughs) We know that in the legal system. So there is uh, an insanity defense that can be made here, okay? However, I do think it would be a mistake to say all of his bad behavior was a result of mental illness, okay? And 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 for me, even if he was mentally ill, it really doesn't excuse any of the message, right? And bad behavior is bad behavior, whether someone is mentally ill or not. Um, and so what this does do, though, you know, what, what the things we've talked about in this episode does for me is it helps me understand some of this stuff because a lot of people will say why did William Branham do everything he did why that's honestly one of the biggest questions people have when they come out of the cult mindset and we start waking up it's why did he do this to us why did he do this and to many of us it's it's hard to find a rational explanation as to why he deceived us and did all of these things but you know when someone is mentally ill their, their motives usually don't make any sense, right? Their mind is not rational and their actions are not rational. So for me, the possible mental illness of William Branham um, seems to be a, a very plausible explanation for the seeming irrationality of his behavior, especially in the later years of his life, and, and why he even believed, seemed, he seemed to so wholeheartedly believe in what he was doing. And I personally think, though, there is a combination of factors that led William Branham to do the things that he did. But I do believe one of those factors, especially in the later years of his life, may have indeed been mental illness. And um, I think as we end this episode, the number one thing I think I hope everyone takes away from this is the fact that William Branham was diagnosed by the Mayo Clinic with an incurable mental illness that totally debilitated him at times. He was diagnosed, okay? And that is a fact I think we got to take into consideration when we evaluate William Branham. And we got to ask ourselves, we can have sympathy for that kind of a person, but is that the kind of person that we want to trust to teach us the truth of the Bible? Is that the kind of person that we can trust as a leader? And for me, that is a solid no. Yeah. For me, as a person who thinks logically, it brings closure to things that... I can't find a good answer as to why. Because, as I said earlier, this is so far more complex than just a yes or no, yes, he did this because he was crazy. I don't think that's truly the case. I think in the later years, the things that got really, really off the rails and fully unexplainable, I can say that those things were a result of the mental health issues. I think... Very clearly, William Branham also suffered from personality disorders. He has every attribute of narcissistic personality disorder, but he also has other attributes of other disorders that would cause him to be a manipulative person. And in the early years, he's very, very manipulative. And so if you combined the manipulative attributes of his personality with the narcissistic personality disorder, which has delusions of grandeur with the mental health issues, which we don't know exactly what they were. We know that it was 
significant enough for him to actually believe a delusion that he had a demon squirrel, so much so that he was in Mayo Clinic, and they diagnosed him as being mentally unstable. When you combine all of this, it gives you some answers to the why that you'll never find. There are other things that I find when I'm looking for the why. I can find, well, he did this because he wanted X or Y or Z. So there's some strategy to it as well. But for me, it does bring a little bit of closure in knowing that some of it was just, (laughs) this man was crazy. No two ways about it. And, you know, it's so problematic because the men who lifted him up, not all of them were crazy. Some of them were, but not all of them were crazy. And so it puts them into the category of did they have personality disorders or were they just looking to make a lot of money because the men who profited from this crazy guy made bank. Yeah, it it definitely shines a particularly bad light on all of the people who knowingly enabled and went along with him through this. I mean, from 1948, Gordon Lindsay knew this man was mentally unstable. I mean, he says so in his book. There's so much to talk about that reinforces this, but this is one of those cases where if you're wanting more information, you can actually just simply go to table.branham.org and just read some of the later sermons, (laughs) read some of the early ones and compare them to the later ones. And you can see the level of crazy that entered into his ministry. We don't even have to talk about it. But if you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, A Critical Examination of William Branham and His Message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming.